Following up on last week's podcast, I wanted to talk about what it means to be spiritual or what spirituality means. Often in scripture, we see important concepts being defined and clarified by setting up a contrast. Remember last week's discussion of life and death. The Apostle Paul often contrasted the spirit with the flesh. And so examining this contrast will give us insights, but this approach alone does not give us the full picture. Scripture also connects the spirit with the mind, and this important connection is often not sufficiently emphasized or explored. Listen to the following discussion and let me know what you think. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org. The more precise our understanding of the words that we're using is, then the more precise our understanding of the verses when we read them. But if our understanding of the words is fuzzy, then our understanding of the verses might be fuzzy. How would you define the word spirit or spiritual? The power behind something like that. Oh, that's an interesting thing. Um, I don't know. I don't. I mean, you have like you know ghosts kind of spirits, but that's right. that's more like <laughs> pop culture. Right, right, right. Exactly. Or like. Claude and I were talking spirits. You know, you can see a store and it can be wine and spirits. <laughs> yeah. well, that's, yeah. not that's not what we're talking about. If we're going to discuss what we mean by spirit or spiritual, then it winds up being a discussion, just like discussing death wound up being a discussion of the contrast between life and death. Well, a discussion of spirit is going to turn into a discussion of spirit versus. Claude got this before. What's the spirit usually contrasted with? The flesh? The flesh, exactly. It will wind up being the spirit versus the flesh. That may help us to understand what the spirit is. And the Apostle Paul has a lot of discussions that help us. But before that, what did Jesus say to the woman at the well in John 4, verse 24? You guys could probably say this off the top of your heads, right? Yeah. Totally. Oh, he asked her for a drink. Right, but then he said, God is 
spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So God is spirit. Doesn't help us understand what spirit is, but one thing we learn from that is that's what God is. God is spirit. Let's read Romans chapter 8. And the verse that I'm leading up to is verse 6. Let's just read Romans 8, verses 1 through 6. Alright. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 6 is kind of like our transition verse to this from the previous podcast episode. Because we were talking about life and death in the last week. So now this week, we notice that for the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And he goes on to say, for the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, now wait a second now, because God is spirit, and those who worship him will worship in spirit truth. When Jesus says something like God is spirit, I think, well, then I guess that means he's not flesh, so I'm not going to see him. But he says about these people who are still in the flesh, he says, you, however, verse 9, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. How is that true? Well, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to you. How is this helping you understand what the spirit is by contrasting it with what the flesh is? Why is the mind that is set on the flesh hostile to God? Verse 7. For it does not submit to God's law. Why is the mind set on the flesh unable to submit to God's law? Well, God's law and God's will are higher than than uh, than, than, than we can uh, conceive of. True, 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 true. Uh, as high as the heavens are above so the earth, so my way is higher than your ways, and my thoughts is my thoughts. Right. Because God's law isn't something of the flesh. You know, that's the Old Testament law. That's, uh, you know, you do this, you sacrifice, you circumcise. That's That was the law of the flesh to me. This is the, the true law, you know, the not just the guidelines that he gave in the Old Testament, but the, the one that he was setting everything up for is the, the New Testament, you know, what we have to do now, I guess.
So then is that where this hostility began in the New Testament? Or was there hostility to God's to uh, to God's law in the Old Testament also? It's definitely in the Old Testament. Okay. Now here's a question then. When did that begin? Uh, in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3. So everything was fine. Everything was very good. And then Satan comes and suggests going a different way. What's Satan doing there? What's the snake? What's the serpent who is identified as Satan? He's telling Adam and Eve to set their mind on the flesh, you know. You can look at this pleasure that you can get for your physical body. And how is he doing that? What's he doing? And I remember now, at that moment, when Satan is, is making this suggestion, we don't have this flesh versus the spirit dynamic yet. This is now creating the dynamic. But, but how does Satan create that dynamic that ends up with the flesh being hostile to God's instruction? Who had they been obedient to up to that point? They've been obedient to God. Uh, right. And now he's um, questioning God's, um, God's veracity. Uh, yeah. He said, hey, you might benefit by this. So being that he's suggesting something different, who is Satan suggesting that they obey at this point? Answer's really simple. It's hmm? himself. Himself, exactly. It's like, okay, I know what God told you to do. Now listen to me, though. I got some things to tell you, so maybe you should go a different way with this. So what is Satan not doing? I'll give you a hint. Jude 1 verse 6 relates to this. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So what did Satan and his angels do? Or what's the meaning of they did not stay within their own position of authority? They wanted people to listen to them? Yeah, listen to them instead of God. And as a matter of fact, what Satan is suggesting there is exactly opposed to God's instruction, right? It's exactly the opposite. When God created everything... And then he created man and woman and put them in the garden. What did he tell them to have over this creation? Dominion. What does dominion mean? Control. Control, exactly. They're in charge. They're in charge of the whole world. And the whole world so far is in submission to God. And Adam and Eve so far are in submission to God. But they're in charge of the whole world. The whole creation, as a matter of fact, according to Genesis. So now, in Genesis 3, when they decide to disobey God's instruction and instead follow Satan's instruction, what was the result of that? 
They lost the dominion. They what? They lost the dominion. They lost? Well, to a degree they lost the dominion. There's still a certain amount of dominion the man has. The fact that, that initial command of, of having dominion is not erased. What happened was they gave some of that dominion over to Satan. Satan has proved himself to be opposed to God because he's not keeping his position of authority. So what does that mean? Satan should not be out there suggesting to people that they should follow, you know, that they should follow him as opposed to God. Like all of us, Satan should be what? When Jesus gives the Great Commission, how much authority did he say was given to him? All authority. So just like Adam and Eve were in the beginning under God's instruction, Satan should have been that too. Satan walks in and says, hey, instead of following God's instruction on this particular point, why don't you follow my instruction? And that's what it's talking about in Jude 6, did not stay within their own position of authority. Satan didn't, didn't keep his position of submission to God. He decided to instead set himself up in opposition. Satan sticks his nose into creation now, doing what Satan does, which is not submit to God. And now, the world that God has created, the physical world, which is what flesh represents, right? Flesh represents the physical world. The physical world versus the spiritual. Now this physical world is unable to submit to God. Because God's turned it over. Actually, like God has it. Man has turned it over. Because God passed the authority to man. And man passed at least some of it to Satan. Because man couldn't completely undo God's work, but he could undo it in part. So for their part as being disobedient, they've turned part of their dominion over to Satan. And that's why the world of the flesh does not submit to God. And that's why we have this struggle to this day. It goes right back to Adam and Eve. Because that's the way the world works now. Because of what happened then. But that's why it's also the flesh versus the spirit. There's this hostility between the flesh and the spirit. And just like when we discussed last week that it's either one or the other, right? It's either life or death. You're either in the flesh or you're either in the spirit. And that's an interesting thing because we're still walking around in the flesh. But it says we're not also. It says we're not also, right. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, if what? It says... Verse 9. Yeah, there we go. You, however, are not in the flesh... But in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ probably being used synonymously. So what does it mean to have the Spirit of Christ? And does that mean, is it an actual thing or is it... I mean, I think it's an actual thing. It seems like it is, but it, you know, it, then above it says things like, um, but according to the Spirit, you know, right. more like a, a pathway kind of that we should be following. Both are true. But here's a question. 
So if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, there's another word that the Apostle Paul connects to Spirit. And it's not a contrasting word, but before we go to that, put your minds back in Genesis 3. How did Satan get Eve to disobey God's command? Well, promising her something. Well, did he promise or did he tempted her? Uh, he he tempted her with something greater. Yeah. And how do you tempt someone? Trick. Uh-uh. Trick was good, yeah, because it says he was. She was deceived. Absolutely true. So when you're deceived, what has happened to your thinking? Hmm? It's been corrupted. It's been corrupted. Exactly. So Satan reasoned with Eve, and not everything he said was completely untrue. Because he says on the day that you eat of that fruit, you're going to become like God, knowing good and evil. Because how did she get to know what evil is? By disobeying God, right? So it's like, that was a true statement. And the other statements were probably true also. It was maybe attractive, good to eat, useful for gaining knowledge. All those things may well have been true. So wait a second now. If Satan is assembling a bunch of true statements, how is it that he's doing anything wrong? You shall not surely die. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That was a point. He says, well, you shall not surely die. That statement was certainly false. So the overall mindset is opposed to God. So the thinking, what does Isaiah say in the first chapter of um, his book? I think it's verse, is it verse 9, Where, or I don't know, but he says, come, let's, let's reason together. Isn't that what Satan's doing with Eve, by the way? Satan says, hey, come over here, let me, let's reason together about this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God told you not to Let's have a conversation about that. Let's reason together. And he deceived her, but in that deceiving means what? He convinced her to do a thing that was opposed to God's instruction. Did you find the verse? Yeah. What verse is it? 18. Say what? 18. 18. Hey, I was close. I was only halfway there. <laughs> so that's Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Do you want to read it? Because it's a cool verse. I know. Or are you already gone? You're already gone. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So when Eve ate this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was this, the first? was the first? begins with an accent. It was the first sin, exactly. But God is offering, even in the Old Testament, right? Especially in the Old Testament. God is offering a line of reasoning that fixes this. This is all working towards... 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
That's verse 5. But, and I'm also thinking of... 11 or 16. <laughs> Are you doing your chain references here? No, those are the ones that I've highlighted. Let's work backwards from 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so that to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So that's mind of Christ, and Christ is God, and Christ is spirit. He's no longer in the flesh. So now let's go back to the beginning of this. So he says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what does that mean? Paul was an educated guy. He was well-read. He understood all the great philosophers of the day. He was instructed by... What's the guy's name? Have we seen Gamaliel. He was instructed by Gamaliel. and He was like an upper-class guy. He was a college professor type. But he said when he came to them, he decided not to wax eloquent or show off his vast knowledge. But he said... I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in much weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So if he had come showing off his great ability to speak, and his great knowledge, that would have been the way of uh, the flesh. Because that's what we kind of tend to do, especially when we're feeling a little bit insecure or, or a little bit intimidated. We might show off a little bit. We might fuck ourselves up. Shout out chest and say, hey, look at me. I know all this stuff. And Paul could do that because he was probably more well-educated than many of the people in Corinth. So he could have come in and showed off but that's not how he convinced them. He was going to talk about Christ and him crucified, which is the mind of the spirit. So, but he says, yet among the mature, among the complete, we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this world. Well, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rules of this age are doomed to pass away because the rules of this age are wise according to the flesh. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed for the ages for our glory. So then he said, uh, verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now verse 11, I feel, is definitional. helps us in defining something about the Spirit. For who knows the person's thoughts? except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So now, way, way down at the bottom, in verse 16, he says, well, we have the mind of Christ. No one knows a person's thoughts, no one knows a person's mind except the spirit that's in him. So the spirit is connected with the mind. And spirituality, being spiritual, is connected with thinking. 
Because what does he say in Romans 8, verse 16? The verse that we pulled out of Romans 8. The mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the spirit is life. So it's the mind set on. What does it mean, the mind set on? It's what you're thinking about. What's your plan? What's your life plan? What's your mind? What's your thinking? The word spirit or spiritual is hard to define because like Jeremy mentioned earlier, it's kind of outside this realm. It's bigger than this realm. It's bigger than the, the world and the flesh. So it's hard for us to have a total picture of what the spirit is. Just like we can't have a total picture of what God is. But there is God's spirit and there is man's spirit and there's the spirit of the individual, right? There's the spirit of Claude, there's the spirit of Jeremy, spirit of James. And the spirit that's in each of us knows our mind, so it's connected with our mind. So our mind is connected with our spirit. The mind is connected with spirituality. It says we have the mind. The Apostle Paul, as, a, as an apostle, said, whoops, but we have the mind of Christ. Questions, comments? I'm going to let you guys talk for a while, because I see you're aching to add something to this. No, I'm not. I totally lost. Really? You're totally lost. Jeremy, do you want to help Claude out? Oh, go ahead. Ask your question. No, no. It's just that, um, you know, there, there are lots of thoughts floating around here, and they're like up here. <laughs> ah, well, pick one. <laughs> Put it down. Put it down from up there to stand there. Like, but that's good that it's you're percolating. I mean, you don't have to. This you can percolate for a while. And... <laughs> Does it seem to make sense to you? Do you think what I'm saying is correct or it's just a lot of blabber? Oh, it's sort of mind-boggling. Isn't it now? It is mind-boggling. That's just mind-boggling and I can't seem to get a hold of it. Well, that's cool, though. Because it conflicts with something you thought before? What is seems to be astounding about this? Or boggling, using your word. Um, it's just like I, I guess I've never really given it thought before. Aha! And because I've never given it thought before, these are all new. These are new kinds of thoughts, although they're not... I mean, I've read these passages before. Right. But I guess I've never really given them that much thought. And now, now I'm forced to think about them and, and, and in a way that I'm not prepared to think about them. <laughs> That's good. But isn't that, isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Because when Jesus came and he said things to the people and they were like, like when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, we mentioned that last week, and you know, he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Nicodemus is like, yeah, I would, this isn't, and this was not what Nicodemus was prepared for. He was not prepared for that kind of thing. And it's the same thing, by the way, in the very next chapter, but handled in a very different way, when Jesus is with the woman at the well, where he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Who's this woman at the well? She's this Samaritan woman. She's a common person. What does her sexual history seem to be? <laughs> very active. Very active. And <laughs> at best, she was a. <laughs> at best, she was a serial monogamist. But the point is, Jesus says to her, 
it, it's very interesting because Jesus says that and the guy you're with now you're not even married to so I'm not going to talk to you but that isn't what he says right no he, and as a matter of fact he imparts to her this little bit of, of wisdom God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth passes it on to this woman of uh, questionable uh, moral integrity that's good as a matter of fact and I love the contrast too speaking of contrast he's very kind to her and she gives him a hard time in the beginning, right? He says, where are we supposed to worship? You Jews say we can only worship in Jerusalem. My people say well, it's fine to worship in Samaria. He's like giving Jesus, the Jew, a hard time. He's saying, hey, why are you asking me for, for water? And Jesus uses, uses her snarkiness and just walks her along. It's interesting that he's very kind to her, Nicodemus, he gives a hard time to. The teacher, he gives a hard time to, right? You're Israel's teacher, yet you don't know this stuff. Now, Jesus is the one that's being a little bit snarky. Jesus is giving Nicodemus a hard time. Next chapter, woman at the well, giving Jesus a hard time, and Jesus is, is walking her along very delicately and kindly, not responding to her snark, and giving her great spiritual instruction. Just like he's giving Nicodemus. He gives Nicodemus a hard time. Why? Because Nicodemus is a teacher and we know the teachers are going to be judged more harshly. Imparts great spiritual wisdom to him because he also says in that chapter where God so loved the world, that whole bit. So Jesus is dropping these gems of what? Reasoning. In the spirit. Get the train back on the tracks here. Why are you talking about the woman at the well? Because spirit and the truth, and uh, just I guess what does that mean? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Right? <laughs> Wait, you're trying to figure out what? What does that mean? That phrase, spirit and worship truth. and spirit and truth. Well, that's a good question. So I think we know what truth means, right? Mm -hmm. Because when I mentioned from Genesis chapter 3, well, there were these things that Satan said that were true. Well, Jeremy chimed in with yes, but he did say a false thing. So it made his whole entire argument false. This entire line of reasoning he was laying out was false. So true is correct. True is the way things actually are. And false is wrong, incorrect. And by the way, spirit and truth, spirit and truth go together. So what else does Jesus say about truth? What does he say in John 17 to when he's praying to God the Father? He says, protect them with your word. Your word is truth. So Jesus is, we have the mind of Christ, right? The Apostle Paul says we have the mind of Christ. And Jesus says about himself, is that he is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, we're back to life again. So all these things are connected. So we might not get exactly how they're connected. We, not, we might not be able to draw a schematic diagram. But we know what things are connected and what they're disconnected from, right? So this is why this is a nice follow-up to last week's. So... Spirit and truth and life are connected. Flesh is connected to death. Flesh is connected to what? Being in opposition. So being in opposition to truth. So false. 
flesh, death, false. So those are important things to connect together. Hey, and the person that can draw that schematic, I want to meet him. <laughs> and perhaps we're not given enough information to draw the schematic because we don't have to build. We don't have to build God. We don't have to build a creation. But we're given enough information because remember, going back to our verse, the mind, son, and the spirit is life. Or the mind of the flesh is death. For example, the Apostle Paul is well known for his giving lists of things. Who wants to read Galatians 5, 17 to 24? For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you... Be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders. Drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Continue. Now, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against us there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh There you go, that's good. There's a contrast there. So these go with the flesh, and I'll read the ESV because it might be helpful to just see some of the modern English translations of some of these words. The works of the flesh are evident, verse 19. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So all those things go together. All those things are works of the flesh and are death. But I warned you before that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's another way of saying death. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified meaning what? Put to death. To death yeah. yeah, exactly. Put to death. Remember, like, consider yourself, what is he saying in Romans 6? Consider yourself alive to Christ, dead to the flesh. So we did that also last week. So this woman at the well was at least practicing sexual immorality. She needed Jesus' help, and Jesus helps her to begin to understand now the ways of the Spirit. This was new and quite confounding to her. Jesus came and challenged people. He's challenging the woman at the well. The woman at the well is challenging him. He's challenging her in a very kind way. He's challenging Nicodemus. 
also in a little bit more um, authoritative way because we know that Nicodemus is going to be judged more harshly but the point is don't be complacent in your thinking as long as you're in this world in the world of the flesh you might become complacent but your thinking needs to be challenged right it needs to be like oh yeah I never thought of it that way oh yeah that's right I read these verses it's happened to me a bajillion times and that's the hazards of reading it over and over again like well I already know what that means so kind of taking it for granted and not really giving it any thought or maybe each time we read it there's something where we can get from it what did the writer say to the Hebrews when he was talking about this he said what I have much more to say about these things but Hebrews 5 start at verse 11 though right about this we have much more to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing so they're not being challenged before we look down on these guys it happens to all of us we're reading the bible over and over and over again we're talking about these things oh yeah i know what that means we can take it for granted we can not be increasing our understanding Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So that's interesting. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those of us who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So we do have to challenge each other and challenge ourselves. You know, we have the mind of Christ, and Christ is, wow, Christ is the Word. Okay. We were just talking about the hazard of the Word and being spending a lot of time with the Bible, and there's a hazard to that. But that's the key to this process of sanctification, is the Word of God. But we have to not only read it and, and read it and understand it, but then we have to... James too, because he said, faith without works is dead. So we have to do it. So we have to read it, understand it, and then do it. In James 1, he says, what? Be doers of the word. Not just hearers, but doers of the word. So, so are you saying, just uh, so I understand, are you saying that the mind of Christ, the mind is the spirit? Is that what link you're trying to make here? The mind is connected with the spirit. The Apostle Paul talks about his mind set and then he says we have the mind of Christ but it, but this is a chapter that's talking about what? The spirit. It might not be that mind exactly equals spirit but mind and spirit are connected. So your spirituality has to do with your mindset. has to do with what you think. And this is important because there's like a level of thinking that human beings have that you don't see in the other living things in this world, the plants or the puppy dogs or whatever. But we're in God's image. Well, what does that mean in God's image? That we're spiritual beings. So you have to look at what's the difference between us and that plant over there. Some of us in that plant. <laughs> we have this level of thought. But even like the puppy dogs, the puppy dogs have some sort of level of thought, right? They can have affection. They can sort of love you and hate you. And they can be pleased or unpleased. But you feed them, you make them happier like kittens, right? A cat. Cats purring, the cat's happy. 
The cat loves you as long as you feed it. <laughs> so that's as far as, that's as high as its thinking goes. But there's a level of thinking that we have that is not present in the plants and the puppy dogs. Because we're in God's image. And we're in God's image, and God is spirit, and spirit is connected with the mind. So when God says, let's create man in our image, well, we don't know what that completely means. But I'll tell you one thing that it's connected with, it's connected with our minds and our thinking, that we have this ability. That's when sin comes into it too. Sin convinces. Changes Eve's mind about obeying God in this particular instance. Does that make sense? It would be pushing it too far if I said spirit equals mind, but spirit is connected with mind. I just want to, on one of the links, you know, in my yeah. Bible, uh, so the, the verse you said, 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who yes. has understood the mind of the Lord as so as to instruct them, they link it back to Isaiah 40, 13, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel. So yeah, at least, exactly. At least and these people think that, you know, the same idea that it's, it is linked. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, probably somewhere in that chain goes back to Job. When God speaks out of the storm and he says, hey, where were you when I was creating all these things? You're going to tell me how to do it? Go right ahead. God knows, even though he's given us his spirit, he also knows that we can't conceive of the mind that can speak all this into existence. So he can clearly say to us, oh yeah, yeah, where were you? You know so much? (laughs) What were you doing when I was creating everything? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly who has known the mind of God that he can instruct him. So we know that it's above us and bigger than us and bigger than we can understand. But we also know it's connected to the mind. We also know it's connected. Because what did God do when he was creating? He spoke everything into existence. It's an interesting thing. It doesn't say, okay, God said, I'm going to create everything now. Let's run some experiments to see how this is going to work. And God ran his experiments and made his observations and there is no. He he spoke it. He said, Let there be light and there was light. Let there be plants, let there be people and everything else. And when he was done with it, we know that he did a really good job without any experimentation. Because the Bible tells us it was all very good. It didn't start to be not good until Satan changed the mind of Eve and that's when things started going south. So we see spirit is connected with mind. I hope you found this discussion encouraging. But even more importantly, I hope this discussion has inspired you to set your mind on further investigation. God has made these crucial spiritual principles accessible to us if we make the effort. I certainly will devote at least one more podcast episode to the spirit mind connection, but this concept needs to be fully integrated into your overall approach to spirituality. But don't make me guess what you need to hear. Let me know your questions, comments, or concerns, especially if you disagree. Please feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org. That's all for now. Goodbye and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect.
converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine.